Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, have, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Thank you, Shauna, for reading. Can I have your attention, please? When someone says that, it gets your attention. You know, whatever I was doing, that person who is saying that wants me to listen in. And that is exactly what the end of Ephesians does. When, when we read the words, finally, be strong in the Lord, the seriousness of this text gets your attention quickly, which is helpful because I can have a tendency at times to zone out. And I definitely have a short attention span and can be easily distracted. So it's helpful when I read words like this that quickly get my attention and say, we need to listen. It's almost as if the professor or the teacher is saying there's a major assignment due. And then the teacher says, you need to listen really carefully now because I want you to include this. And if you don't, it's going to be a problem. You want to zero in, you want to listen it's no time to zone out. You can't afford to do that. And when Paul uses the imagery of warfare, when Paul speaks of fire and evil forces and spiritual opposition, when Paul starts using words and commands like stand firm, resist, be strong, stay alert. It is meant for us to sit up and to lean in. We're going to go through this passage that we just read. We're going to go through it, Lord willing, over the next several weeks. I'm calling our series Battleground because of the imagery that Paul gives us. I want us to spend today a good bit of time in verses 10 to 13. So that's going to be our primary focus, but it's going to lay some groundwork today to help us actually look at piece by piece the armor of God that we're told to put on to take up in coming weeks. Today, here's where we're going. I want us to ask and respond to four questions. I want us to ask four questions and I want us to respond to them. And these questions aren't just, I think, I think they're not just going to be helpful this week, but also going forward each week that we're in Ephesians 6 as we do a deep dive into this text. So let's start. Question number one, 
Where are we? From this text, we get a very clear answer. We are in a battle. Where are we? We are in a battle. You cannot miss that in these verses. We're in a battle. And because we're in a battle, we're going to find ourselves in an area of conflict that's a battleground or a situation of hostile opposition. That's the way a battleground is described, an area of conflict, a situation of hostile opposition. That's how a battleground works. And the sooner we realize that we are in a battle, the sooner we realize all of us are in a battle, the better we are. We're locked into a conflict because whether we know it or whether the 20,000 students at University of Delaware know it or whether the hundreds of thousands of people in Newcastle County know it, we are locked in spiritual conflict. Ephesians 6 verse 12, notice what it says. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. We wrestle, and the word choice there is intentional. This isn't something done at a distance, but it is to remind us like of hand-to-hand combat, close up. We're not fighting a battle from a distance, but we are engaged in it, and we're going to feel the press of it. We are in a battle. Whatever it is, it's not from a distance. I want to get more specific about the battle. Where are we? We are in a battle. So on the battle, who is on what side of this battle? What is really going on here? On one hand, on one hand of this battle, we have God's people. By that, I mean the people who belong to Jesus. The people who've been rescued by his grace, by his work, on the cross. Some of you, Ephesians is your favorite book of the Bible, and one of the reasons why it's many people's favorite book of the Bible is all the descriptions of Christians, all the descriptions of those who belong to Jesus. It starts right there in Ephesians 1.1 when it says, you are saints, you are holy people. And you keep reading, and in Ephesians 1.19, you read, you, you are those who believe And when you read in Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are God's workmanship. Other translations say his masterpiece. These are amazing descriptions. When you read in in chapter 2, verse 19, it says, we are members of the household of God. Those who belong to Jesus in chapter 2 and verse 22 were, were said to be a dwelling place for God. In Ephesians 3.10, we're described as the gathering, the assembly, not just the one that like happens to meet at Ogletown on Sunday, but we are the gathering, the assembly. We are the church of God. When you read in, verse, in chapter 5 and verse 8, we're told that we, the followers of Jesus, are children of light in a dark world. I mean, I've just given you a sampling of the different labels that are put on the people of God. And if this tells us anything, it should show us just how much God values his people. These followers of Jesus, though, these ones who matter so much to him find themselves, we find ourselves in a battle, in an area of conflict, in a situation of hostile opposition. If you belong to Jesus, you are in a battle, and you will, you will find life filled with all sorts of battlegrounds that will happen That's on one side of this battle. On the other side of this battle 
is a description of our spiritual enemy. So in verse 11, when Paul is writing about this battle, he says, there is actually strategies and schemes and methodologies of the evil one, the devil, our adversary. In verse 12, it describes what we are going through is a present darkness. In verse 12, in very descriptive forms, we, we read of spiritual forces of evil, forces of darkness. In verse 13, we read of an evil day that is coming, an evil day that could be upon us. This is the battle. On one side, we have the people of God. On the other side, we have the devil. But but actually, you could pull it back even more. And Paul is not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you either. But he is trying to make sure that we aren't oblivious, that we aren't dismissive, as if like, no, I mean, things just roll along. There are bad things that happen. There are bad people in this world. But Paul pulls it back just a little bit further and says, you're in a battle. And you have an enemy. You have an adversary, the devil. Actually, our enemy, enemies are described even further in the rest of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, he reminds us of our history. You once walked following the course of this world. There's another enemy, isn't it? The world, the world system. What gets embedded in a world filled with sinners who are under the dominion of the prince of the power there. This is no joke. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we, yes, have the devil, and we also have this world, but then there's another enemy that we, we all face as Christians, among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, we have flesh that carries out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So notice the battle scene here, the battleground. You have the devil, and you have the world, and you have the flesh, all against God's people. We're not in a neutral setting. It is not going to be easy, regardless of where you think we are. What we know is this. We ask the question again, where are we? We are in a battle. My question for you, though, more specifically, is where is the battleground for you? Where does the battle meet you? Where does the battle take place in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions, in your relationships? I think the most helpful thing in this series will be for you to wrap your mind around significant battlegrounds in your life, places where you encounter the battle, places where it becomes, listen, places where it becomes more difficult for you to rely on the Lord. Places where it becomes more difficult for you to trust his promises. To enjoy the Lord and his work. To be satisfied with what he's given you. Places where you find it hard to hope and not grow weary. Where are those? I imagine it's different for each one of us. The set of battlegrounds that you faced this past week, the, the battlegrounds that I faced this past week, where are we? We're in a battle. And I, I want to paint some battleground scenes. I, I don't know where all of us are, but I wonder if one battleground scene would be 
even here as you sit today. And it's hard to explain, but you've, you've grown more and more discontent and unhappy with your life. And it's begun to work on you. You're easily frustrated. You're more disappointed than you've ever been in others. You're bothered by circumstances and it's becoming less of something like, less of something you deal with and more of something you are. And maybe you're asking, maybe you've even thought like, is this all there is? Is this it? I wonder if another battleground would be a person sitting in a dorm room. They're 19, they're 20, they're 21 years old thinking, how could I have messed up so many things at this point in my life? How could I not find a way out of this? Is this going to be what my life is now? I wonder where you face the battleground. I I wonder if it could be in a place like a a total place you don't suspect. I wonder if it's as you sit in a chair, sit in a recliner, and you have your your iPhone, and you find yourself endlessly scrolling, and you're scrolling, and, and maybe you haven't thought of it in these terms, but maybe that's a battleground because you find yourself more and more distracted. You've lost focus. Every time you scroll, you find yourself more bitter, more angry. The chemicals in your body, they fire at every sort of news thing you read, and it all seems bad, and it all seems frustrated, and you become someone different, and, and you know that's not what I want to do, and I, I don't want that to be who I am, but you can't even drag yourself away from the hours and hours and hours of endless scrolling. Or maybe the battleground is where you have begun to cross lines emotionally with someone And you know what God has said. You know what God has said about sex. You know what God has said about marriage. You know what God has said about adultery. But you also know what you want. And the rationalizations come. And you care less and less about what God says, even though you know what he's said. And you begin to tell your story. The justifications come. This is just who I am. This is what I will do. Or maybe you're at a stoplight and all of a sudden a flood of grief comes over you or a flood of anxiety comes over you and you really don't know what to do, but you feel like you're losing something of who you are. Or maybe you're in a setting, maybe it's a meeting, maybe it's a class where you begin to sense like, I think my conscience is going to get pressed here. And I think it's going to cost me to do the right thing. I don't think it's going to be easy. And you begin to wrestle, do I really want to pay that cost? I'm not sure I do. Or maybe the battleground is when you're lying in bed after a pretty tense family discussion that didn't go so well. You weren't at your best, but others weren't either. And you begin to think through it, just cast a long shadow on what the future is, and you go, I'm not sure this is going to go well. Where does the battle meet you? Does it meet you in a doctor's office? When you get the news and it's hard not to go like, God, I know you could. I, I don't understand what you're doing. You could, but you're not. You, you won't. You don't. What, what's going on? I could go on and on. I just want us to make sure we know we're locked in a battle. And it seems like there are just battlegrounds everywhere. And what I would ask you to do is identify two or three significant battlegrounds in your life. And I do want to say a word of caution here. 
This is what would be easy for me to do. It's as I think through battlegrounds, I could say, well, you know, I just saw this thing about like some bad stuff going on in Idaho that it didn't sound very good to me. And I just, that's, that's the battleground. And I'm sure there are bad things going on in Idaho, as in every state and every country in the world. In this moment, I'm actually more concerned with what's going on in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. Because you probably can't do much right now about what's going on in a million places, but what's going on here? What's going on in your head? Where does this battle meet you? Where are areas of conflict for you? Where, is, where are those situations of hostile opposition? Name it, and name it thoughtfully, and name it carefully. And I'd, I'd, I'd even ask you to go one more step, and that would be, if you think you have battlegrounds, surely those around us, I mean, Paul doesn't just address this to an individual in Ephesus. He actually addresses it to a church. Could it be that the people of God that are in this very room right now are going to be coming for help and are actually going to be coming with help? I wonder if there are battlegrounds in significant people in our lives. And maybe we jot a couple of those down and we pray we say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I know this person is going through this. And they matter to me, and I know they matter to you. Where are we? We're in a battle. Question number two, though, is who is on our side? Who is on our side? And the answer comes loud and clear. The Lord is on our side. By that I mean the Lord is with us and the Lord is for us. It's interesting, I'm watching some of the U.S. Open tennis and it's a family tradition that goes back, I think, for several decades now. In tennis, you're not allowed to, they do it anyway, but you're not allowed to coach. You, you can sit in the grandstand, but in the match, you cannot coach. That person has to go into the match by themselves and you sit in the grandstand and watch, and that is the exact opposite of what happens in our spiritual conflict. It isn't as if God is in a grandstand watching how all this will go out, but he rolls up his sleeves and comes into how our lives are working. He gets close. The Lord is on our side. That's why Ephesians 6 says, be strong, but it doesn't stop there. It says, be strong in the Lord. And when the the Lord is used there. In Ephesians, the Lord is always a reference to Jesus Christ. Be strong in him. Draw on his strength. Put on his armor. Be empowered by him. We go to the battleground knowing Jesus has said, I'm not going to leave you. Not, not there. Not at the stoplight. Not at the dorm room. Not in the classroom. Not at home. Not ever. I'm not going to leave you. And we also go into this battle knowing that he's been there before. You want to talk about this present darkness? Go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Go to the cross. You see this present darkness. You want to talk about an evil day? How much so when the one who did nothing wrong, all the forces of evil align against him on the evil day we call Good Friday. He knows something about present darkness. He knows something about the spiritual forces of evil. In, interesting in Ephesians there is a lot of language about strength and might and power. I'd say at least as much as any other book in, in the New Testament that I come across. In Ephesians 1.19, Paul prays, and I, wanna, I want you to hear how he prays. He asks the Father for 
the believers in Ephesians, and I, I feel by extension it's us as well, he prays that believers in Jesus would know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, where do we see that might on display that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, above every name that has been named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, the idea of power in Ephesians. Hear this. The idea of power and authority and strength and might and rule in Ephesians isn't God just flexing to show his power, which he certainly could do and is entitled to do, but it actually is showing his strength for our benefit. God is showing his power for those who believe he is projecting his strength for those who are going through battlegrounds in situations of hostile opposition. He's showing his strength for us. Every battleground that I just talked about and every battleground you are walking through, the Lord is on our side. Notice in Ephesians 3, Paul is praying again. He prays several times in, in this book. He says in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What are, you, what are you praying for, Paul? I am praying in verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then the chapter closes now to him to, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. According to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God's strength on your behalf. Do you believe that? The Lord is on our side with all of his power. So we ask, like, who is on our side? Yes, we're in a battle. Who is on our side? The Lord is on our side. And that is so helpful. It's not as if that's only partial help. Imagine applying to a college where you know it's going to, a university where it's going to take you know, uh, a ton of money to get you through. And yet you also know you can apply for a scholarship and you apply for a scholarship. And you know there are deep pockets where with that scholarship, you know they could, they could really, really help you out. And imagine you get a letter in the mail, you get a check in the mail, and here's your scholarship of $25. You know, that doesn't even buy a notebook in college. Like what, what help is that? And when you read of God's power, and you, you kind of put that up against the battle you're facing, what I want you to realize is that it's not like partial help. It's not like 5% help, 10% help. This is exactly the power and the strength that you need. What raised Jesus from the dead is going to strengthen you, is going to cause you to stand firm when your own strength would just like be totally decimated, totally worn out. If your spiritual survival were just dependent on your own strength, it would be over quickly. But I love the promises here. The Lord's strength is going to endure. I want to make it clear, when I talk about the Lord being on our side, it's not just His power, but I want to make sure you appreciate how much His love communicates clearly that He is for you. Ephesians is written, this whole book is written with love interwoven throughout. All these references to power starts off three verses in, we're told that God chose us and predestined us in 
love. And that love wasn't cheap, it was costly because we're told in verse 7 and verse 8, in him we have redemption through his blood. He shed blood to show us, I love you. He laid down his life so that we wouldn't go, I wonder if he really does love me. I wonder if that'll change. I wonder if what I've done is too much, too far. We're told we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he just poured out and poured out. The word is lavished on us in Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, acted because of the great love with which he loved us. Ephesians 2, 8, 4, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. So when I say the Lord is on our side, I don't mean a cheap, nice slogan. Ephesians doesn't talk about it in that way. Who is on our side? The Lord is on our side. He's with us. He's for us. Can we keep going deeper? Question number three, what has the Lord given to us? What has the Lord given to us to help us in this battle? Because he is on our side, the Lord has given to us his armor, the armor of God. And we're going to talk, Lord willing, piece by piece through this armor. But I want us to recognize this is what the Lord has given to us, his armor. And just notice a couple things. One is, as you read the armor, as Shauna read it a moment ago, basically you read of helmets and you read of shoes. You read from head to toe, God has equipped you every possible thing. He's not left you without protection or defense. He's given us exactly what we need. He's given us exactly what we need not to be devastated or destroyed. He's given us what we need to obey and to love and to trust and to rely on him. He hasn't left us defenseless in this. Head to toe, we're covered. But notice there are different pieces of the armor. And you, and you see that and you, you read of a belt and a, and a breastplate and a shield and a helmet and a sword. And you also read words like faith and salvation and truth and the word of God and could it be that even in this picture of the armor, it's recognizing my battlegrounds can be different. Sometimes they're in my emotions and sometimes they're in my mind and sometimes they affect my faith and sometimes they affect like my mouth of what, I want, what, I'm, what I'm careless about doing and what I'm careless about thinking about. And you're going to have a variety of battlegrounds and you have armor that is ready at each place of this battle to deal with it. Different struggles, different seasons. Different aspects of this armor are going to serve you well. The Christian life is complex. Not only do we have armor, but it's a very specific armor. It is the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. You may not know this, but the armor, the first time it's mentioned is not in Ephesians. It's actually back in the Old Testament in Isaiah. You get pieces of this armor. And the idea in Isaiah is there is a Messiah coming who will put on the armor and go into the period of conflict. Our Messiah Jesus, and Paul is drawing on that there. What he's saying, the armor of God, Jesus has worn this armor into battle. Jesus has faced the devil with this armor when he encountered demons and death. He was wearing this armor when he encountered the vulnerable who had just had their lives wrecked by sin or their bodies just, just totally destroyed. He had this armor on. When he encountered those who had had their lives just ruined by twisted religion, he had this armor on. 
and he had this armor on when he went all the way to the cross and was executed. An execution based on false charges, even as he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He has this armor on, and now we're in him, and he's given us what enabled him to always please the Father and always walk in the Spirit. You have that if you're in Christ. I have that because I am in Christ. Did you hear the words like truth and peace and righteousness, God's word and faith and salvation? These are aspects and these are qualities that Paul's been talking about this entire book. And he says, all of what Jesus has, it's yours. You have it. We have his power. We have his armor. As much as I feel inadequate, as much as I feel like I will fold quickly in a day of battle, left to my own strength, I'm not left to my own strength. Look at what we've been given. We're able to say, I have what I need. Where are we? We are in a battle. Who is on our side? The Lord is on our side. What has the Lord given us? He's given us his armor. And the final question that we're just going to introduce and begin to unpack over the next several weeks is what are we called to do? What are we called to do? We're called to be strengthened and we're called to stand. That takes a twist that's a little bit different than you expect if you're just reading the passage because what you expect is like, you got the armor, now here's what I want you to do. Go and fight it out. Like, fight. Get ready. What are we called to do? We're called to be strengthened and to stand. Be strengthened, which is, I think, more of the idea than just be strong because it's not just we summon our inner resources. That's actually like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ too infuses me with strength, who gives me strength, who strengthens me. Same concept here. Be strengthened by the Lord. Be strengthened in Him. How do I grow in strength from the Lord? As I make actions and choices, at the end of the day, it's not about me summoning my own resources. Something more is going on. I love what one writer said, Paul is saying that God can and will make you stronger and stronger as you rely on him. Be strong. Be strengthened and we're also called to stand. Verse 11, verse 13, verse 14, all varieties of stand, withstand, resist, stand firm, stand your ground. We could never do that on our own, but we're not on our own. We're not on our own. We have marching orders in this battle. so much more we need to say. I feel like we're just kind of opening the door to what I hope is God doing some amazing work over the next few weeks. I, I don't just want to share with you messages. I want us to think about these things together. If you have some extra time this week, you can go to ogletown.org slash battleground. And we don't normally do this, but I, I just feel very, very impressed that this needs to have deeper work in our church's life. And if you have time, I know some of you have Bible reading and you have a, a good routine, but, but maybe you don't. And there's some extra passages to look at, some extra places in Isaiah and even Ephesians where we're trying to soak a little bit deeper in that. And I invite you, we're going to update that each week. Uh, I'd love for you to spend time, ogletown.org slash battleground, and that address will be up after our service. But here's what I'd like to do to close this. So I'm, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. But as, as we're closing, can I do this? Can we do something responsibly? I want to ask the question, and I want us audibly 
to answer the questions that we've walked through. So can, can we have those questions up on the screen? I want to ask the question and then I want us all together to respond. Where are we? We are in a battle. And who is on our side? The Lord is on our side. And what has the Lord given us? His armor. And what are we called to do? Be strengthened and stand. I actually want God's word to be the last word, so I want us to read together, again, putting all of our voices together, this passage in Ephesians 6. Can we read it, verses 10 through 13? Let's read this together as a church. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm.